want y'all to know, uh, you know, I have to travel sometimes. I'm here most Sundays, but when I'm gone, I really miss y'all. I love worshiping Jesus with y'all. It's a, it's a privilege. And uh, happy to be able to worship over God's word with you now. Um, I'm going to pray first, and then uh, we can get started. Father, we come before you again in Jesus' name. Father, we come before you again because we really do need you. God, we don't pray as transitions between parts of the service. We pray because we need you. Um, and we want to praise you, God. We need your help. So, Father, we pray you'd help us now. God, help us to hear from your word. God, whatever things uh, that would keep us from hearing from you clearly, we pray you would remove it from our hearts. Father, whatever stuff that would keep us from obeying you as we should, we pray you would remove it from our hearts. Father, we pray that you'd give us grace to live our lives completely uh, to your glory, not our own. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, like Pastor John, if you don't know me, I'm Tripp, one of the pastors here. And like John said, uh, we're starting a new series, A Little Break. Uh, I hope it's uplifting. John didn't ask me about the tone of my sermon before saying that, uh, but I'll just smile through the hard parts. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, just called You Are, and we're going to think about, in these three weeks, uh, three things about us and our identity that God calls us to be and that God calls us to do. When we become Christians, we know that there's stuff that changes about our identity. Right? We know that we uh, go from not being children of God to being adopted by God. We know we go from having our sins held against us to being forgiven of our sins, out of darkness into light. There are these things that we know happen, but the stuff that we know changes about our identity, the stuff we think about is usually individual stuff, stuff that has to do with us as individuals, right? We're new creatures, children of God, all of that. But we don't think that much about the corporate identity change. Right, So we begin to think of ourselves like, okay, now I'm a son of God or a daughter of God. But what we don't always think about with our identity change, too, is that, okay, if we're sons and daughters of God and God has other sons and daughters, then something's also changed about our corporate identity, right? So I'm not only now a child of God, I'm also now a brother or sister to other children of God. Just like if, you know, someone adopts a child and they already have children, they can't be like, I'm going to take your last name, but I don't want nothing to do with them. Like, no, no, that's your family now. And there's been a corporate identity change, and that's the stuff we want to talk about in these next three weeks, some of those uh, identity changes that have to do with the way that we interact with each other. And it'll overlap some, but I think uh, that's okay. So to uh, begin to talk about it, and my intro is going to be a little long because I want to set this whole thing up. This is one thing that helps me think about the particular identity change we're going to talk about today. Um, I mean, y'all know me. Y'all know I have a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, Q and Sailor. Uh, They're very cute and lovable in public. (laughs) And it's a joy uh, to have them and also an affliction. So one of the difficult things, (laughs) it's just the age. It's four and two. It's rough. Okay. Um, One of the the hard things is, uh, so I travel sometimes, so there's sometimes when when I won't be home uh, at nighttime if I'm uh, doing an event or something. But uh, most of the time, when I'm home at night, I put my kids to sleep. So I, uh, I'll take them to bed, I'll read them the story, and I'll do all of that. But 
at four and two, they still have this very deep attachment to my wife. This much deeper than their attachment to me, which if you create a person in your stomach for nine months, you can have that. You, you deserve that. But here's the thing. So I, every night I'll, I'll put them to bed and every, not every time, but often they act surprised and devastated like it's the first time. It's like, what? all right, it's, it's time to go to bed. No, we want mommy to put us to bed. I'm like, why are you acting surprised? And sometimes they're screaming like I'm some stranger who's dragged them away from their family. I'm going to put you to bed tonight, kids. They, they act very devastated. But here's the thing that's, that's funny about it is I think their lives would be a lot easier if they understood that God has given them more than one person who could take care of their needs. Right? You wouldn't have to be so devastated. And I'm not a stranger. I'm your dad. How do you think you ate that food? I'm a little bitter, but... Uh, <laughs> If they understood that, it would be good for them. Their lives would be easy. They wouldn't have to act so devastated. And there may be some things, I'll admit, that my wife maybe does better. She might have a better reading voice than me, and she might be more gentle as she puts their pajamas on. I don't know. And, and there, are, there, there are other things that we actually do absolutely need her for, like eating food. There's stuff like that that I can't do. But at the end of the day, I can get the job done. Like I can get you in bed, and God gave you two parents, so you don't have to be devastated about it. You don't have to prefer someone so much that you refuse to receive it uh, from other people. And so while we can laugh at four-year-olds and two-year-olds, we often do the same thing with some of the things that we need. Where God has provided more than one kind of person or more than one person to meet that need, but we overlook those other people God has given us in search of the people we really, really want. And some the specific needs that I'm going to talk about uh, today are going to be around the way that we counsel each other. Needs for advice, needs for comfort, uh, and needs for correction. The thing is that when you need advice and when you need comfort and when you need correction, often what we want to do is we only want to talk to pastors or we only want to talk to some professional counselors because they're the ones who can really give us any kind of counsel that we could ever need. But what I'm going to point to in Scripture today is that God has called every one of us to be counselors. And so I want to say, there is a distinction. There is a professional counselor with, like, licenses and degrees, right? And there's a role for those professional counselors. But I want to give you another category of counselor, a lowercase c counselor, right, that all of us are called to be. We all need those counselors, and we're all called to be those counselors in one another's lives, and we don't want to just skip over uh, uh, the people that God has given us to do that. So usually when we hear the term counselor, we think of that licensed person with degrees. That's a capital C counselor, someone who maybe works for mental health practice or works for a church, and those are types of counselors, and they deserve to be recognized for their expertise. Or maybe you just think of pastors that know the Bible well, but I want you to reshape the way that you think about that. And how you understand your role in it, how you understand other people's roles in your life because you are called by God. It's one of your job descriptions and commitments to this body to be a counselor. That's the main point of this. You are a counselor. And this is going to be a little different than the normal sermons we preach where we just go through one text. We're going to be jumping around some. The passages will be, be up on the screen. Um, so what does it mean to counsel somebody? Just to make sure we're clear on what we mean. The dictionary defines the word counsel like this. Advice. Opinion or instruction given 
in directing the judgment or conduct of another. It says counsel is advice, opinion, or instruction given in the directing the judgment or conduct of another. And that's pretty clear. It's, it's speaking into someone's life about what they should do or how they should live or how they should feel. And as believers, if we want to counsel each other, then we're going to have to add something a little extra to that definition because, of course, our counsel isn't good enough, our opinions aren't good enough, our advice isn't good enough. We want to speak into people's lives with God's word. Right? I'm a worthless counselor. The only thing I can come up with is stuff that I've thought about. But if I have a word from God himself, then I can speak something helpful into your life. So that can be our working definition. Counsel is speaking into someone's situation with wisdom from God. So we're talking about the kind of counseling you're called to do. It's speaking into someone's situation with wisdom of, with wisdom of God. And most of us probably feel disqualified to do this. We don't feel like we have what it takes. Some of us are more gifted at it than others. We have licensed counselors in our congregation. But the truth is every single Christian is called to speak the truth in love. And we're called to serve one another by speaking truth into particular situations. We're called to counsel. And here's the thing, even though you feel like you're not qualified, you do it all the time. You are always counseling people. Somebody tells you about a situation and asks you what they should do. Like, my boss is tripping. He yelled at me, and I did what he told me to do. What do you think I should do? You're like, cuss him out. That's bad counsel. But we do it all the time. When somebody's venting about their situation and, and, uh, and you try to comfort them. I mean, we are always counseling people. You see your friend doing something dumb. You tell them, go in another direction. That's counseling. It's a very normal thing to do. So the question really is not whether or not you will be a counselor. The question is whether or not you will give good counsel. And Scripture tells us the way to do that. And the reason why I thought this is worth talking about is because there's a never-ending need for different kinds of counsel. And we're going to walk through three different kinds uh, in this message. But I want you to know that in the life of this church and this family, there is no possible way that the four pastors of this church could give advice for every single decision that everybody's going to make. There's no possible way we could give comfort for every time there's any kind of pain. There's no way we could, uh, there's no way that we could, uh, Correct every little small thing. It's just literally impossible. Not only can we not do it, that's not the way that God has designed his church to function. The way that God has put his church is not the pastors are the professional ministers who do all the ministry. No, the pastors are the ones who equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're part of the body. We're doing some of the ministry and we're equipping you so that we can minister to each other as a family. God has called all of us to do this. Ephesians 4 talks about the main goal of what we're doing is to build each other up. And the way that we do that is speaking the truth in love. Counseling isn't just the job of special professionals or pastors. It's also the job of regular people. So when you think about whether or not you're involved in the life of this church, I want you to think, the main way I want you to think of your involvement and to gauge that is not just if you signed up for an official ministry, though you should sign up for official ministries, like children's ministry especially. God bless you. But don't let that be the only way you think about whether or not you're involved in our church in the way that you should be. You should think of the main thing God has called you to do as speaking the truth in love, the things that build the body up to maturity. And any of those ministries that are in place are only there to serve that purpose so that we can build one another up, so we can tell people about Jesus, bring them into the family, and so we can build them up together. It's something God has called all of us to do. And I know most of us in this room... Uh, 
if we're followers of Jesus, we really want to be used by God. We, we want to do some ministry. We want to glorify him. And so the, the problem is that sometimes we look over the very obvious opportunities to be in ministry and to serve God that he's given us. We look over them in, in search of some other ones. I'm, I can uh, think of a conversation I had with a pastor friend of mine, uh, and he's a great guy. I love him doing great things. The Lord is using him in incredible ways. But I had a conversation with him that kind of shocked me. He's a pastor of a, of a big church. Don't try to guess who it is. You wouldn't guess it anyway. But as I was talking to him, uh, because he's well-known, he, he travels a lot. And so I was just, you know, talking about how I'm always trying to, you know, rethink my traveling. And I'm, I've, I've, uh, I'm not traveling as much, and I'm trying to take it down a little bit more. And he looked at me and said, no, no, God doesn't want you to do that. I'm like, oh, t- tell me more. He said, you know, now that our, our church growth is, uh, is kind of slowed down a little bit, he said, you know what, I, I'm traveling more than, than I ever did because I don't feel like God has called me to just be here sitting in meetings and planning events. God has called me to be with the people. So I travel a lot and go all over the place so that I can be with the people. And as we talked, uh, I felt like that was tragic because he was overlooking the very people that God had given to him to shepherd in search of some other people to be with. I mean, he was literally leaving the people God gave him to go be with people. And the mistake, as far as I understand, is not a mistake of him not wanting to serve people and not wanting to pastor well. But I think it's one of these times when we are in such search of opportunities to serve God that we ignore the very ordinary ones that are in our face every single day. And so similarly, those of us who are longing to be used by God and and wondering if God is going to call us to something amazing, all the while, you have conversations with people all throughout the day, every single day, and God has called you to speak the truth and love within those conversations, and you're overlooking. There are times when somebody will come to you and say, man, I've I've just had a rough day. Uh, And instead of using the opportunity to try to find a way to speak the truth and love, we kind of glide by sometimes in search of something more grand or important to do. But God has given us this incredible opportunity right there. And and here's the the funny thing about it is not only are we called to be counselors, but we're called to be counseled. I mean, this, this is how everything works within Christianity. You're called to be an evangelist and you need to be evangelized, right? You're called to counsel people and you need to be counseled. This is anything God calls you to do. You're not doing it because you've reached some point where you're no longer in need of it. You're doing it as one who also needs it, and you're pointing people to that same thing. So we want to walk through the different kinds of of counsel that we need and that we need to give to other people, and those are advice, comfort, and correction. Advice, comfort, and correction. We'll start with that first one, advice. The first kind of counsel that God has called us to give. There. There are just so many things in our life that we need advice for. We have tough decisions to make. We have tough situations. We got uh, relationship issues, and and we need input from other people. And I think that there are few things uh, in all of life that are more valuable than really good advice. When I think of some ways that the Lord was really gracious to me, he gave me people in my life who gave me really good advice. One example is when I was 19 I was a Bible college student. It was my second year in Bible college. I had met my wife the year before. Uh, We weren't married yet. Uh, And I was considering whether or not I should pursue her to marry her. But I'm like, but I'm 19. I didn't think I was going to try to get married this soon, but I like her, though. And so so I went and I talked to a few friends. 
And those friends being older than me and more godly than me and understand scripture better than me and already being married, they gave me really good advice about whether or not I was ready to get married, about what it looked like to, to kind of take it slow since I was 19 years old, what it looked like to, uh, to love her as I pursue her, what it looked like to have conversations with her, all kinds of stuff that I think I would have fumbled that thing and messed it up horribly had I not had men in my life who gave me really good advice. There's just few things more valuable than that. And the Bible talks about it a lot. Proverbs 15.22 says this, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So if you don't seek counsel, your plans will fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Generally, how about this? Proverbs 20, verse 18, Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage, war. These Proverbs and so many like them are saying, if you want things to go well, the wise way to go forward is to seek counsel. If you want to fail, then don't take any counsel, right? Receiving counsel is not a way to live wisely. It's the way to live wisely. This scripture gives us. So uh, somebody may say, why do I need counsel? I'm not a child. I don't need people's advice all the time. I'm an independent person. I kind of do my own thing. Other people got issues too. I just want to uh, do me. Why, why do we think uh, that we need counsel. Two main reasons why the first one, that we need advice, that kind of counsel from people, is that we don't know everything. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you don't know everything. We are not all knowing. Even the smartest people, the smartest men, even the wisest women, there's stuff that they didn't know. I just randomly saw this, and this will tell you about my strange internet trails, that Einstein, who his name is synonymous with being a genius, they actually found out that his brain is bigger than other brains. And one of the things he's known for the most, the theory of relativity, it looks like it's about to be disproven. He's the very picture of being really smart, and he wasn't right about everything. None of us know everything. And the quicker we understand that, the better our lives will be. My son, Q, uh, another kid illustration, he, he really does think that he knows everything. He is a know-it-all. Even though he's only four years old and he knows hardly anything, he is convinced that he knows everything, and he's just in this phase right now where he's very confident in it, too. So we were riding in a car. He's like, Daddy, there are 10,000 houses in the whole world. <laughs> I said, that, no, that's not true. He's like, yes, it is. It's true. I said, how do you know that? I just know it. And it'll be with anything. Daddy, that's a spider. That's not a spider. That's a cat. It's a spider. And he's so convinced that he's right that he doesn't want to hear anything from me. And again, we laugh at kids, but we do the same thing. And we're so convinced that we don't need help that we won't listen uh, to counsel. And here's why overestimating your knowledge and wisdom always leads to undervaluing the input of others. When you overestimate your understanding, it always leads to undervaluing the counsel of other people. Pride can kill you. It's bad. And so, you know, we laugh at kids, uh, but we're know-it-alls too. We're basically big toddlers. We make decisions in isolation. We avoid people who we don't always agree with. We ignore what our friends tell us to do because we think we know it all, even though there's plenty of evidence that there's a lot that we don't know. Every day there's a reminder that you don't know everything because you probably wake up and you look at your phone. You look at, I don't know, what the temperature is outside. And then you maybe look at Twitter and see what happened in the debate. And then you cry after that. And you just look up stuff. <laughs> and we have this obsession with more information. 
And it's almost like this daily reminder tapping us on the shoulder saying, just a reminder, the fact that you're obsessed with new information is a reminder that you need new information all the time because you don't know everything. God has made us to be dependent on him. So if we're not even good at those kind of basic things, knowing how clueless can we be sometimes about bigger decisions? It's important that we get input and counsel from other people. The second reason we need counsel, not only do we not know everything, we're also sinners. So even when we have all the information, we look through a distorted lens. Right? We have passions that lead us in the wrong direction. So we can have all the information that we need, but we can be seeking our own glory instead of God's and make the wrong decision. So it's helpful to have other people in our lives. This is why Proverbs says without counsel plans fail. Because of our deficiencies in both knowledge and in holiness, we need to receive counsel. We shouldn't trust ourselves too much. Romans 12, 16 says, don't be wise in your own sight. Proverbs 19, 20 to 21, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many of the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We desperately need counsel. So here's a little bit on what it looks like to receive counsel. I want to ask you what your decision-making process is usually like. Think about when you have a decision to make about your life. Something having to do with your job or something having to do with your relationship, something having to do with any aspect of your life. What is your decision-making process like? Think about the last big decision you made. Were you honoring what God calls us to even in these passages, to seek counsel as we do it, not to do it by ourselves in isolation? How often are you bringing something to people like, hey, here's what's going on. Help me to think about this. That is a good thing to do. That's a good practice to do. It's a good habit to build. Not only that, who are your advisors? Right? Who are the people that you would go to if you went to them? Just think about that. Who are the people you would talk to? I want to encourage you to build good relationships with wise people. This is one of the reasons it's good to have very good friends who love Jesus and who think wisely. Because if you spend most of your time with people who don't think wisely, they think foolishly. You're people who don't know God and don't understand how everything is fitting together that God created. We're just not going to get good counsel from folks. And God has called us. To get it. We're going to get immature and unwise counsel if we have immature and unwise friends. So make sure you got some wise people in your crew. Maybe even make sure you have some, as John said, seasoned saints in your crew. Right, so people who've been some places you haven't been before. I, I promise you. I mean, one of my good friends when I was in D.C., um, mid-50s, white dude, not cool at all. We didn't match at all. People would look at us very strangely when we would go to lunch like, did he kidnap you? Uh, but I can't count the number of times I thought, man, man, I do not know what I'm supposed to do. He's like, oh, I mean, I've been through this like five times. Just do this. I'm like, God bless you, sir. <laughs> Stuff that seemed so unclear to me because I hadn't been through certain things. Because he was wise. I mean, he was able to help me think about them well. And I value that so much. It's kept me from mistakes. John said in one of his other sermons, the best, uh, the best teacher isn't your experience. It's somebody else's experience. Don't wait till you mess it up to try to fix it. Learn from other people who've already been there. We're in need of counsel. So if our problem is our lack of knowledge and our sinfulness, then you may think, how am I supposed to be a counselor when I'm sinful and I lack knowledge too? Because I'm not all wise either. I'm not sinless either. And here's what we have to remember. Our counsel is only helpful if it matches what God has already said. 
God is our primary counselor. Scripture calls Jesus the, the wonderful counselor, and he's given us the counsel that we need in his word. Everything that we absolutely need to know, he's given us in Scripture. And what we get to do is remind each other of what God has already said. That's why it tells us to speak the truth in love. And if our main problem is, is our sinful heart, then what is it that changes sinful hearts? Is it insightful things from other people? Absolutely not. It's the word of the Lord, and it's the spirit of the Lord. Right, so even as we think about making good decisions, right, somebody could give you lots of good advice, but if your heart is impure, you're going to look in the wrong direction and make bad decisions. We desperately need the word of God to be part of our counsel for one another if we have any chance of honoring God with our lives. So when you're even thinking about your week and, and what your schedule is like studying scripture, just remember that when you study scripture, it's not only for you, it's also for the other people in your family. Just like when I go to work, I'm not only making money to feed myself, I'm making money to feed my entire family. There's no way that we can be a mature church building one another up in love, speaking the truth in love, if nobody in here actually knows the truth. In order for us to be mature, it requires all of us to be in the Bible. So we can speak the truth to one another. Don't let it just be me, John, Rich, and Moe speaking the truth in love. All of us need to do it. And we need y'all to speak the truth in love to us. Right? We desperately need one another in that. So don't read the Bible just for other people. Don't, don't do that. Jump over that and think, mm, I know somebody who need to hear that. <laughs> don't do that. Right? I mean, study scripture for yourself. But we also need to study scripture for the sake of benefiting other people. So we feel ill-equipped. We don't have everything that we need uh, in our minds, but we have God's word. And that's why anybody is qualified to be a little C counselor. And quick, just extra, please don't make decisions in isolation, especially big ones. Make sure you bring other counselors in. And if there's something that's a really massive decision, we would love you to come talk to us, the pastors, about it. You know, if, if we talk to you one day and one day... Uh, you live over here, and the next time we talk to you, you live in L.A. with a completely new job, we're going to be a little confused. Like, hey, we would have loved to, to know what's going on, to pray for you, to think about how to walk with you through that. We want to walk with y'all through that kind of stuff. Please don't think about us as the guys who teach on Sunday morning but want nothing to do with your actual lives. We want to know. So please feel free to come talk to us. We love to walk with you through stuff like that and bring lots of people in to you. Your circles And the criteria for whether or not you accept people's counsel, just remember, it's not whether or not you like the counsel, it's whether or not it matches with God's word. A lot of us ignore counsel that we don't like, and we just go find another counselor who says something that we do like. It's very easy for us to do that and to make it legitimate in our minds. So make sure some of your friends are people who say, hey, I see what you're doing. Stop. Make sure you got some friends that will chase you down. Right? We, we, need, we need friends like that. So that first one is... Advice, the first kind of counsel, right? Because the, one of the marks of great wisdom is listening to wisdom from others. If you don't like other people's wisdoms, it just shows you're foolish. We need that advice. Second thing we need is comfort. Second kind of counsel we need to get and give is comfort. It's natural for us when somebody expresses uh, pain or, or frustration or, or, or grief that, that we want to say something nice. We want to help them feel better about the situation they're in. We want to comfort them. 
And we are called to comfort one another. The kind of comfort that I'm talking about, the scripture talks about, is the uh, kind of encouragement and consolation that we need in hard times. Helping each other navigate difficult seasons of life. Uh, helping people process deep hurt and pain. That's a kind of counseling. And it may be the first kind of counseling that comes to mind when you think counseling. You think sitting in maybe a counselor's office and, you know, telling stories about your childhood while weeping on a couch. Maybe the first kind of uh, counseling that we think of. And I'm saying all of us, even without those degrees, we're not exempt from helping the counsel in this way. Look at First Thessalonians 5.14. It should be on the screen. Paul says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There are so many passages in Scripture where Paul, when he commands us to do things, talks about it in such a way as if we have a responsibility for each other's well-being. Like it matters that someone near you is faint-hearted. It matters that one of your brothers and sisters is weak. It's not, alone to, it's not enough to just try to strengthen yourself that we have to try to love and comfort and strengthen one another. And since we've been called to speak the truth and love in all situations, difficult situations is one of the ways we need to do that. But again, we're not all-knowing and we're sinful. So we don't always process things correctly. We need help for other people uh, to do that. And one example of this is a lot of my uh, black friends right now are having trouble processing watching videos of black men dying every week. They're having trouble processing that. A friend texted me last night, and he, he told me he's really having trouble processing that. He wants to talk, and he's starting to question his faith right now. And he feels like his church family isn't being very supportive or understanding as he tries to wrestle with this which to me is just an immediate example of exactly this, where something hurts and there's pain, and we need help from one another to comfort each other and to help each other to process these things. Right, so sometimes it's helpful just when you're talking to somebody to get a good feel for where they are to see if there are ways that you can comfort them, if there are things that you can help them to process. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I love those verses. That is so good because they're just steps to the way that God has mapped this out in our comfort. Right? The first part is this, that our God is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We aren't children of a God who doesn't care about us. He's merciful. He gives us things that we don't deserve. And he's not a divine deadbeat. He didn't create us and save us and abandon us. He knows when we're going through tough things and he cares. And it's in those times that he looks toward us with his tender mercies and, and gives us what we don't deserve. And it says he's the God of all comfort, not some comfort. There aren't just certain situations where God knows how to comfort us. There, there aren't things that pop up that's so terrible that he's like, even I don't know how to comfort somebody in this. He's the God of all comfort. Paul says he comforts in all our affliction. And somebody may say, well, what are the reasons he does that? Paul gives us one of them so that. We may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's as we're comforted by God and his goodness that we're able to pass that comfort on to other people. 
right? It's just like being generous, like if you, you know, if you're generous with your money, you got paid, you can't pass money on to anybody else unless you got some yourself, right? So in the same way, since we've been comforted by God and we've received this comfort, we're able to, by God's grace, pass that comfort on to one another. And it's not this like, it's okay, man, kind of comfort that lasts for like five minutes. It's not that it's going to get better, even though you don't know whether or not it is. That's a dishonest kind of comfort. We're, we're talking about a kind of comfort that's actually substantial, that's rooted in rock-solid truth about the God who created all things. A, a kind of comfort that matters. And we should want to be compassionate like this God. We should want to be merciful like him. We should want to be comforting like him. At Cornerstone, we love the Bible, and we love truth, and we love big truth about God. But all of that is useless if it doesn't lead to loving hearts, right? We don't, we don't want to be a church with big heads and little hearts. We want to love God and love people with our whole hearts, with our mind and our will and our emotions, with all of us. We don't want to be like Job's friends either. Y'all remember Job's friends? Job went through some things. Well, Job went through everything. And here he is, lost his family, lost everything. He's sick, laid out. And his friends show up. They thought they were speaking the truth of God, and they start blaming him. I mean, it takes a hard heart for your brother to be standing there with sores, lost his family, weeping, and you're like, you know this is your fault, right? Because they thought, you know, something's going wrong. It must be that he sinned. This is the only way. Because he sinned, that, that's the only way bad things would happen to him. So here's another example. If we're going to be able to counsel one another, we actually have to know a little bit about God's word. We have to actually study it. We don't want to be walking around handing out guilt and shame where we should be handing out consolation. We don't want to be pushing people low into the depths when we should be pulling them up. Our God is the God of all comfort in tough situations. Uh, Paul Tripp, uh, there's a book called uh, Instruments in the Hand of the Redeemer, and and he talks about um, one of the unique things about us is that uh, as human beings, as we're interpreters. we got to make sense of the world around us. So I want to read this quote because I think it's helpful in terms of why counsel is needed and comfort. He says, we were created to be interpreters, meaning we don't just experience stuff, we try to make sense of it. We do not live based on the bare facts of our existence. We live our lives according to our interpretation of those facts. That's why we need a framework for generating valid interpretations that help us respond to life appropriately. He's saying we don't just live based on the fact that, you know, I lost my job. We try to make sense of it. And we can make sense of that in wrong ways. For instance, we can think God doesn't love me because I lost my job. I'm not worth anything because I lost my job. I'm less than other people around me because I lost my job. And what we get to do in difficult situations when we comfort each other is we get to speak the truth in love. We get to give some context to the situation. We get to help each other interpret what's happening in the right ways. One of the most vulnerable places that we can be where we can misinterpret things is when we're in pain, when we're suffering, when we're most vulnerable. Satan would love to snatch our souls when we're hurting. We get to comfort one another. We get to comfort one another. Context is always necessary for understanding anything. Sometimes my wife will tell me something, and she'll be like, yeah, yeah, did you see her? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, my bad, I was thinking about this or that. If she would have gave me context, I would have knew exactly what she said. Or she'd be like, oh, I'm about to go to the mall uh, on tomorrow. I'd be like, what? She'd be like, on tomorrow. I need the first half of the sentence to understand. (laughs) But this is everything. 
When we only have part of the picture, we misunderstand things all the time. And what we get from God's word is he gives us a bigger picture. I mean, when you see stuff in scripture like Joseph being sold into slavery and accused of rape and all the crazy things that happened to him, he doesn't get all the backstory that we get when we read this. God didn't hand him a book like, here's what you're about to go through. He didn't know what was happening behind the curtain. But in hindsight, he can look back and say, God did this for my good. They meant it for evil, but he meant it for good. And Job, as he's going through all that, he doesn't know the backstory that Satan came to God. And the God, you know, We don't know all of that stuff. But in God's word, he helps us a little bit by helping us to see behind the curtain to see there's a sovereign God who's in control of this. There's a God of all comforts who's in control of this, right? And what we get to do when we speak the truth and love to each other is help give that very necessary and helpful context. And we need that. Y'all, there are brothers and sisters in this church who are going through some of the most difficult times of their lives. There are marriage issues. There are money issues. There are health issues. And we need each other. We need each other. God's given us each other to help us to get through these things. And it's one of the beautiful things about being in the family of Christ is that we get to care for each other. And a brother just did this for me the other day, uh, the last um, Sunday night prayer, literally the last Sunday night prayer because we're moving it to Wednesday, this Wednesday, here, 7 p.m., uh, a brother came, I was talking about my, my health. I have chronic fatigue syndrome. I was talking about some of the ways it makes life difficult. And a brother came up to me and he said, you know what? I've had diabetes for, for 50 years. And it's been difficult. And here are the ways that God has shown himself good in my life. And here's some truth from God's word that's helped me to interpret that correctly. So let me encourage you to interpret your situation in the same way. And I was able to go into the week. It was a hard week with my health. Thinking about things with a bigger picture. Right? When we're suffering, it's hard to think about anything other than the pain and grief we're feeling. And we get to speak into each other's lives and say, hey, don't forget about God's goodness. Don't forget about what God said here. Don't forget that God works all things for our good. We get to speak the truth and love to each other. It's a privilege. And it's a way that we get to serve one another. He's given us his word. And, you know, if we're going to receive comfort, we can't be too proud. We can't be too proud to ever let anybody know we're hurting. Pain is not a sin, right? Pain does not mean that you're weak. And in the same way that it's a sign of pride that we won't receive counsel from other people or or advice from other people, it's also a sign of pride if we refuse to ever receive any comfort from other people because we want to project this image of strength that I don't need any comfort. Well, you do need comfort, and God gave you people to give it to you. Right, so we have to be open about our lives. It also means we have to press in to know each other enough. If we're going to bear one another's burdens, like it says in Galatians 6, we have to know one another's burdens. I can't just see you and just bear your burdens with my mind and do a mind trick. I got to know you. We would love to be a church where no one has to bear their burdens alone, where everybody can uh, have others around them who are helping to bear their burdens. That is important. We have to know what's going on. And we don't want to be the kind of church that stigmatizes pain and suffering. To see sadness as something bad. Jesus got sad. Paul got sad. Everybody in the Bible got sad. What we need to do is think through the ways to respond about that. So let's be open and let's comfort each other. And there are some things that we're called to counsel each other. There are some things that we as the pastors do want to know about. If there's something serious going on in somebody's life, if someone's been struggling with depression over a long period of time, someone is feeling suicidal, these are the kind of things that we would really like to know. 
Now, we, everybody can still speak the truth and love into their lives, but there are some things that we as the pastors really want to know. There are also things that we as the pastors are going to encourage people to see professional counselors for because there is real expertise and skill there. There are some people who what they have devoted their life to is helping people process things in a godly way. And they're really good at it. And they're really helpful at it. So sometimes we're going to encourage people to do that. The other thing that we don't want to stigmatize in our church is mental illness. Right? We, we know that we are sinners and our bodies are broken. Right? We, we know that stuff goes wrong in us. And we know that every issue isn't purely a spiritual issue. There's not like the spiritual part of us over here and our physical part. It's all wrapped up in one. So we only get to worship God and try to enjoy God and pursue God within the body he gave us. Right. So when we enjoy God by God's providence, there's chemicals and stuff that happen. Right. We do not want to be the kind of place that makes people feel like they must not be children of God if they have mental health issues. We do not want to be the kind of place that thinks of mental health in some terrible way differently than we think of any other kind of physical health. We don't want to be the kind of place that looks down on people who would take medicine to fix the things that go wrong in their bodies. The only thing we don't want to do is to treat any kind of issue as if it's just purely spiritual or if it's purely physical. All of this works together. And we want to be the kind of church where whatever kind of issues we're going through, we can comfort one another with truth and love from God's word. Amen? Amen. And, you know, I, I do want to just say this before I go to this last point. With, you know, mental health issues is not something that, to be played around with. So, again, even if you do feel like people around you stigmatize it, we don't want that to be something that you keep to yourself. Uh, we, we want to be able to walk with you through those things. Uh, and we want to love one another through those things. The last thing, advice, uh, comfort, and the last thing, this is the shortest one too, correction. The last kind of counseling I want to talk about is correction or restoration. And and we see a theme through it. The the things that make us need counseling in these areas, one of those things is our own sinful hearts. That we can get ourselves into trouble. So we need other people in our lives speaking truth from God's word. And what it says in Hebrews 12, 15. Because here's the thing. The reason I want to read these passages too is because sometimes we do not like the thought of being involved in one another's lives and especially not correcting each other. But I just want you to know that spiritual danger is one of the only kinds of danger that we feel like it's wrong to help pull people from. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. He says, see to it That no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. But you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The book of Hebrews is filled with these warnings to these believers to love each other enough. To exhort each other, chapter 3 says, exhort each other while today's still today, basically, not to let your heart be carried away by sin. Love each other enough to call each other out, to encourage each other. Galatians 6, 1 to 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
says if we're caught in any kind of sin or transgression or breaking God's law, we should restore one another with gentleness. Now, some of us like the idea of restoring people, but we skip over the gentleness. And we have just a very, our demeanor is very much like, hey, you need to get like me, holy. And that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to restore one another with gentleness. And if, when we have conversations about our lives and the sin that we wrestle with, we can't have those conversations with gentleness, then people won't want to have those conversations. The gentleness in those conversations comes from a realization that any time we obey God, it's because of God's grace and not our own strength. That allows us not to be self-righteous as we do it. And that means that we should confess our sins to each other. It shouldn't be like we find out you're a bank robber because we happen to be in the bank while you do it. (laughs) We should confess our sins to each other. We should ask each other's questions, and we shouldn't lie to each other. James 5 says that. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So that doesn't mean that you randomly come up and grab the mic while I'm preaching and confess your sins. But when you have that circle, those counselors, those close friends, confess your sin to one another so that we can encourage each other, so we can lock arms together. James 5, 19 to 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is saying, look, if If there's anyone who's wandering away from the truth, go get them. They're in danger. What James is not saying is that if somebody has trusted in Christ and they've been saved and forgiven of their sins, that they can somehow erase that forgiveness. But he is saying, if you stop repenting of your sins and you no longer want to follow Jesus, you should no longer be so confident that you're going to spend eternity with him. And whether or not that's somebody who has really believed in Jesus and they're justified, and you just need to bring them back so they'll persevere, or it's somebody who never was, and you want to bring them back so they'll really trust in Christ, either way, we want to go get them and bring them back. We don't always know what's happening behind the curtain. What we do know is when we see brothers and sisters wandering, we should, in a spirit of gentleness, call them back. Again, spiritual danger is the only kind of danger that people get mad at you for trying to rescue them from. If a house is on fire, and somebody's in there, and they can't get out, and a firefighter runs in and pulls them out. Nobody's like, bro, you just going to pick me up and pull me out? (laughs) Nobody says that. Nobody thinks the firefighter is being rude. And and, And the crazy thing is, the spiritual danger we get in by not turning from sin and trusting in Jesus is much worse than the physical danger that just comes from being inside a burning house. And the reason we get mad about it and we don't like it is because we don't really sense how real the danger is. It is a loving act to, in a spirit of gentleness, call your brother back, call your sister back to believing in Jesus and and trusting in him and repenting of their sins. And there should never be a case. Somebody can stray away for 10 years in the worst of sins, and if they turn back and come back, They should be welcomed with open arms and love in the same way that Jesus has received us back every day when we sin against him. This is a community of those who have received grace, not a community of those who decide whether or not we should give it. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you know, these warnings where where, uh, Scripture warns us not, not to turn away from Jesus 
They're warning us because there is very real judgment that comes from our sins. But the beautiful thing is, in all these passages, right, all of that is is held in the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that even though our sins are bad and we've committed them against God himself, Jesus died for them. Somebody else paid for what we did. And this is the good news that gets to be, uh, that everything that we say to one another gets to be rooted in, that yes, we're a mess, yes, we mess up sometimes, but the grace of Jesus is greater than all of our sins. I was at a conference this weekend, and we sang this song. It was grace, grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. There is no sin that's so great that God's grace is too small to wash away. And God calls all of us that we can, anytime we desire, let go of our sins and trust in him. That means you don't have to wait. If you don't know Jesus, you could trust him right now, and you should. Christ paid for our sins on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and he gives us forgiveness of sins. And one of the beautiful things he gives us is a family like this. We get to love one another and care for one another. Brothers and sisters, I would love for you to leave here today thinking of yourself not only as an attender at a church, but as one of the counselors in the church, lowercase c. One of those who gives counsel, that gives advice, that gives comfort, and that gives correction as God has called us to do, and we have to be humble enough to receive those as well. I'm praying that you would use, uh, that you would, that you would believe this, uh, and that you would grab a hold of it, and that you wouldn't ignore this responsibility. One thing we don't want to be is we don't want to be like uh, my kids at bedtime, looking past someone God has given them to take care of them in search of their favorite one. Right, unless there's something very specific that you need them for. There are so many ways that God has given us that we can counsel one another. But what we also don't want to do is that sometimes I'm tempted to just be like, well, fine. Just let mom do it all the time. Right? I'm tired. I would rather just chill anyway. Just let mom do it all the time. In the same way, we don't want to say, you know what? I know I'm supposed to counsel my brothers and sisters, but I just don't want to do it. I know my sister's hurting, but I'm tired right now. And I know my brother is strained, but it's a little awkward to have that conversation. In the same way, we don't want me to ignore my obligation to love and care for my kids. None of us should ignore our obligation to love and care for one another. And so as we sing these songs together and this rich gospel that we all believe, my prayer is that it will give us this foundation of love that will allow us to be humble enough to give and receive the counsel God has called us to. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the wonderful counselor. God, we, we thank you for the grace you've given us in him. God, we thank you that even though we, we sinned against you, God, you've covered those sins. We thank you that your love is so great and that your grace is so great and that your truth is so great, God. And we thank you for giving us your word. Help us, God, to just be these never-ending echoes, just repeating your word all the time, all day, all night to one another, Father. And help us to do it in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of humility. And we ask that in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.